You're listening to the AfterBuzz TV Network. Now the largest new media platform on the web and your number one source for after-show entertainment. Very good, From the AfterBuzz studios in Los Angeles, California, presented by Maria Menunos and Bing.com, and streaming live thanks to Akamai Technologies, it's AfterBuzz TV's Californication After Show. We'll break down tonight's episode and get you all the latest news and gossip. If you'd like to buzz in on tonight's show, you can buzz us at 424-256-1729. That's 424-256-1729. And now, another post-game wrap-up show for your favorite TV show. It's AfterBuzz TV's Californication After Show. All right. Hello, hello. Welcome again to the Californication After Show. Bing is for doing and we're doing the episode 8, season 6, Everybody's a Effing Critic of Californication. I am your host, Stephen Lemieux, and I will be taking hold of this reins tonight. Joined by me are our amazing co-hosts. Chris Lee Kennedy. What's up, guys? And the Roxy Stryer here. What's up, guys? And we're gonna we're gonna dive into this episode. Kind of started out with the whole uh, Hank and Becca, what goes on there. Tie up some Runkle Stew, and then we'll tie it all the Hank and Becca with together with the Hank and script at the end. Runkle Stew. That sounds like a a meal. Runkle Stew. Yes, I will. I will not eat some Runkle Stew. Um, I can have myself some Runkle Stew. <laughs> Yeah, I, I'll, I'll pass on that. Anyway, okay, so getting into the episode, we, uh, we see, some, uh, see some Hank and Becca action going on. They're at the coffee shop, and you guys had an interesting little point about the coffee shop with the cups, right? Oh, yeah, I was just saying that he had an Earth Cafe cup, and he was not at Earth Cafe. That is despicable. Just, you know, I mean, the viewer would never know that, but, you know. That's because Earth is so totally trendy that yes. they had to throw it into the show, but they couldn't get the permit at the location <laughs> post Entourage being there. So, you know. Well, total total marketing right there. <laughs> yeah. But uh, moving into it, so Becca is trying to decipher what Hank thinks of her book through his facial expressions. And we all do this whenever we're trying to figure out what somebody's thinking, especially here at AfterBuzz when we have guests on. We will, like, we'll say things and kind of gauge their facial expression to see if we're right or wrong with, like, things that may come in the show, come later. And his face is one of, like, very nervous, happy, sad. Okay, we all do that, but then we don't all say, I'm studying your face for the truth. That's a lot of pressure. I mean, (laughs) you know, I I don't think Hank handled the situation in the best way, I think he could have started by saying something positive. You know, the whole compliment sandwich Hate thing. doesn't work that way. But at the same time, she really did pin him against the wall. What was he supposed to do, lie to her? That would have been worse. So I know, and apparently, as Hank says it later, he, he was kind of ambushed mm-hmm. in that that was probably not the time that he was planning to speak with her. Because that's where she works, isn't it? No, she works at another coffee shop. She works at a different coffee shop. Mm-hmm. Okay, so she wasn't working there. No. But still, it's, it seemed like he was not prepared for that conversation. And he says some pretty... He, I mean, he lays it down easily in a really harsh way. I mean, his words are, are soft-spoken, but what he's saying is really kind of a big F you to Becca's book. 
it wasn't as much what he said as what he didn't say, like when he's talking to Karen later, and Karen's like, and he's explaining what he was doing, and Karen's like, well, did you tell her that? He's like, no, I didn't have the chance. Well, instead of giving her, giving Becca the benefit of the doubt that she would sit along, uh, around long enough to wait for him to say something positive, like I'm saying, he should have opened up with, listen, try and try and try again. This is really great. I'm so proud of you for your first novel, but sometimes you need to... Write a second one. Start clean. Instead, he just says, throw it out. She says, what kind of note is that? He says, a big big one. one? (laughs) But Hank doesn't work that way. And he never has, whether it's been with Becca or anyone else in his life. Like, he doesn't sugarcoat anything. Even, like, last week when he leaves Becca in Marilyn Manson's hands because he wants to teach her a lesson. Like, he's not going to be the one that's going to be like, baby, it's okay. It was really good. It's not. Like, he's not going to coddle. He's This is Hank. Well, I I think it's more that. Hank is the type that he really views Becca as an adult. I mean, when Becca's doing something he doesn't like, he pulls out the ch- child card. But any other time, he really, he really is on, like, the same level as her as opposed as, like, when you're thinking about maturity and uh, as an adult talking to an adult, he talks to Becca that way because that's how their relationship has been. So I'm sure when he's saying this, he's probably not feeling like she's going to go. She, he probably thinks she understands what he means more than she really does because he's not really realizing that she's taking this more of on the child side, like trying out your dream. He has this similar mentality to her. And I think from what we've learned about the book, this is clearly her writing about her life. So now he's realizing probably more things that they have in common that he probably hates. But even when she was younger, he's always spoken to her like she was an adult. And I think it's because his mentality is that of a child sometimes. Yeah, But you know what? I partially agree with you. I partially don't. When you say this is Hank, this is who he's always been. I, I do agree with that. But... I'm sick of people using that as an excuse for him. Like, the, oh, but I'm Hank, so this is how I can treat my daughter. No, you are Hank, but you're also a father. So you got to figure your shit out because you can't just sit there and talk like Hank because you are Hank, so you don't have to be a good dad. You know, it's not a fair enough excuse, which is what we kind of give him. I actually appreciate the way that he handled it. I'm probably the outsider on the table. Um, I I appreciate the way that he handled it. There was part of me that actually thought that he wasn't telling the truth and that he was just trying to be hard on her because he wanted her to get used to what the real world is like and being a writer and how many times you're going to get knocked down. Um, But I appreciated his brutal honesty. And, and, And I think that he wasn't a total jerk about it. He could have been a lot harsher, but mm-hmm. I appreciate the the bluntness and the honestness and it, yeah, it kind of stinks that he didn't get to say everything until, you know, the next day or that night or however we see the episode unfold, but I appreciate that. I, 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 I've had that in my life and I think that you become stronger that way. I mean, when she's asking Hank Moody, the writer, to give her a critique, did she want her dad to coddle her or did she want a professional writer to give her an honest opinion of her work? I think she asked him because she knew that he was going to be brutally honest and he wasn't going to be a dad that was going to say, oh, it's great, but I think I think that's exactly why she gave it to him. It could have been worse and I'm glad the result is what it was, but I think that he could have gotten there a different way and in a way that would have been more productive. I don't think that his the way she describes it was it was destructive criticism instead of constructive, which is a better way to go about it, even though I think you can be brutally honest and constructive at the same time. This isn't great. Here's what we can do. Yeah, but... Is better than go get drunk and put this in a drawer and the next day 
start over. Yeah, but even then, that's that's how Hank deals with things. So right, it's but kind that's of, what I'm saying. That's how Hank deals with things. It's such an excuse that people use all the time. Like, uh, just because I lie to you, and then I'm like, but that's who I am. <laughs> you know what would I mean? We, but as viewers, would we still enjoy it if Hank Moody changed? If he became that person, would we still enjoy the show? Because I wouldn't. You know how you have, like, a crazy grandma, and you're like, this woman's awesome if she wasn't my grandma. You know? <laughs> I feel like that's how I feel about Hank for Becca. Hank is awesome. Such a cool dude. If it wasn't her father and it was just the writer, like we were saying, but you can't separate those two completely. He is both the father and the writer, so he needs to treat her like his daughter and the subject. You know? You can't just... It, they're not mutually exclusive. You have to join it together and figure out a way to make it work while you're talking to your daughter and somebody who's looking up to you for advice. I mean, it's it's kind of a, if you think about it like in an analogous situation, look at kids who have coaches for fathers and they push them too hard. Um, I mean, Becca has a high standard to live up to. Right. And when Hank kind of lays it down on her, I mean, it, it's it's going to be tough. But and you he, don't think that the critics or the, the publishers are, are, are going to be even worse? Like, they're going to cut her to pieces, so... At least he did it in the nicest way he could and the most honest way. Yeah, and he ha- and she has that in. I mean, right. I mean, it's so easy for people who have famous parents to get into an industry where their parents are in. So especially with her, she doesn't have that layer of little time things turning her down, telling, being easy on her, saying no, no, no. She doesn't have the chance to build her skills into something great before she goes public. She's just going to go public because she knows she can with her dad. But I disagree with what you just said because you think it's easy if your parent is huge, maybe to break in, but you're always being compared. There's never a moment where... I meant to break in. But even that, it can be sometimes more difficult. You know, publishers get it, and if it's not as good or better than what your father is currently doing. You know, back in the day, maybe he was worse. Maybe he's at the level you were at. We're arguing the same point. But you're always going to be compared to, but you're going to be getting work, which is, I mean, for all of us in this room, we all are aspiring hosts. We know that there's people that are getting jobs that because they they know someone or they're dating someone. You know what I mean? So I I think you're right. Well, you're arguing the point that they'll always be compared that's why I'm saying it's good to be harsh on her now because she doesn't have that soft period. She's going to jump into always being compared to Hank with work that she has not had a chance to refine. I don't want to be misunderstood. Being harsh is good. Making sure she knows that it's not great is good. I just don't think the way he goes about things sometimes is necessarily correct. And, of course, that's what makes the show. Right. But I also, there's there's a part that I appreciated even more, and that's when Karen comes to him and says, you know, what did you do? She was totally being a mom and being like, what did you say to her? Because, you, you, of course, Becca went home and was upset, you know, which we didn't see, but we know that that's what happened. She went home, mom, I'm so upset, mm-hmm. dad's the worst person in the world. But the one thing that was so true is that he said to her, if I can talk her out of being a writer, exactly. then she shouldn't be a writer. Yep. I was just about to bring that up. And that's, up. I think, exactly why he was so hard. And that's true for any... Part of the arts that you want to go into, musicians, uh, painting, acting, anything like as actors, we know because it's if somebody can tell you you're bad at something and you immediately give up, then you weren't then you're not it. The thing is, it's such a harsh business that if there's anything else in the world you'd be happy doing, you should do that. Yeah, because it's miserable. You know, like the lifestyle she's living. I mean, there's also amazing parts of it. But if you could do something else, you should do it. I, I could never be happy doing something else, so I would never do it. So I think what he's trying to say is, like, if, if Becca can be persuaded to do something else, he would rather her have that life, you know? Right. But 
And then I, she I just think, wasn't meant to do this. Right. Because, I mean, as the show is Californication with David Duchovny, and it, it, it romanticizes... <laughs> as it reminds us. Yeah, it romanticizes the aspect of his life where he gets to sleep with all these people and he gets to get drunk all the time in his life. I mean, it looks great on the outside. But even then, even watching it, you don't really get the full effect. Like, imagine if you were Hank Moody. This is not a amazing, glamorous lifestyle. I mean, he is, his, his character, by all means, should be clinically depressed. His family's falling apart. His life is falling apart. I mean, it is a tough road to be an artist, and it's it's worrisome. You see, you see celebrities nowadays who don't want their kids to go into it. Their kids sometimes end up doing it anyway, but they're afraid because they know how hard it is. But what's interesting about what you said is he should be depressed, and we don't see it in his day-to-day life, but apparently we're seeing it in his writing. Yeah. Oh, I think we see how depressed he is. I think the him going to girl to girl is showing and the drinking and the drugs is showing him his he he operates in chaos and dysfunction. I would I would support that statement yeah. definitely. I just mean in the typical depressed mode, we're not seeing him sulking in bed, whatever it is that people imagine depression to be. He's not that. He's not the image of darkness. So like I want to ask you a question. Do you think that Karen's read Becca's book? No. No. Oh, I do. I don't think, I think the first person she wanted to read her book was her dad. Okay, so you think immediately she finished the book and brought it to Hank. Yeah. And so Hank's the only one who's read it so far and thus far in the series now. Oh, I think the mom's read it too. I think that she would ask both of them to read it. I mean, we know that um, Karen's read all of Hank's work, you know what I mean, as he was going through. And I think that she, Becca would respect her opinion just as much. I mean, obviously, she would respect her father's a little bit more because he's the published author, but I think that she would respect the mom's opinion, too. I don't think it has anything to do with respect. I think she finished the book and showed it to her dad, and then it didn't get to the next step. I don't think she printed two copies and was like, here, Mom, here, Dad. I think she printed one, handed it to her dad. Okay. I can Otherwise, see I think Karen would have come over and said, I read it, too. It wasn't great, but what you should have said about this part was, you know, she didn't say anything specific. It didn't seem like she had read it to me. Okay. So we're going to... Let's move into Runkle and Stu, and then we'll come back and finish up the whole episode with how the script and how Hank's life with the script is, interf- is not really interfering, but intermeshing with what's going on with uh, Becca. You, you got it, Captain. All right, so moving on to Runkle and Stu, we see, uh, we see Runkle show up to Marcy's house. Uh, was, it was Marcy's house, right? Mm-hmm. Or was it? A, it well, okay. Marcy's, yeah. Marcy's house or it's whatever it is. And she show, he shows up. Um, they have a nice little moment there in a way not really a moment but you can tell that he can he can still get at her i mean her facial expressions she still likes him he can still bring up things that throw at him and then ophelia shows up that bitch oh so i mean this is a whole new level of crazy tonight's yes. episode like I, I, before i was like she's kind of funny i mean she's a little too feminist for me but this is you think she's harmless, and now it, it really kind of shows up in this episode, like when she slaps her uncle, like, for no reason. What I'm liking, though, is the fact that I have no idea where this is going. I had two theories throughout the night. The first one was, I turned to you guys, I'm like, does Ophelia like Marcy? Mm-hmm. The thing that bothers me about the Marcy-Ophelia relationship, and the thing that I don't understand, and I, I, I can't. I can't grasp it, is Marcy has been this pillar of strength and this strong-ass woman the whole entire series of Californication. She's always kind of been the spitfire, the one that you're like, oh, I want to be like her sometimes. How all of a sudden does she change to this meek, almost insecure person around Ophelia? I mean, she's been burned so many times now. 
But I still don't buy the meekness and the in, like. She's literally letting Ophelia control her choices, and I don't. I don't buy that. And it was a slow build because we see Ophelia last season, and we see like the the beginnings of that, where she's trying to bring people into this group meeting to do that. And then I think it's more just like she's talking to her, like when she's doing the sessions with her. I mean, David Duchovny, as we all know, is a very big anti-Scientologist. Uh, like, he can't stand it at all. And you can see the same kind of mental tricks working with this. So I, right now what I'm thinking of is Tom Capinos and David Duchovny have something going on with feminism and how it's kind of becoming a little bit out of control in some respects with some different rallying groups that are around right now. And I think that they're really writing into that just to get some character. I was like, character. I am so confused. Wait, what happened? <laughs> I just sorry. got so lost. Um, Wait, no, I get what you're saying. You're saying that they're trying to make a point of a social issue. In their real lives, David Duchovny is anti-Scientology. He yeah. openly talks about how he thinks it's stupid. Okay. So they did, the that. Show, they did that in a previous season. Right. You so think now, potentially the creator of the show and the lead actor of the show have talked about the fact that they think feminism has gone too far, so now they've written into the show this to, crazy express, character. to okay. express something, which I totally understand because there's a difference between wanting equality and wanting to pay back all of the issues that women have had and fight this generation of men because you're going to stick it to them because they were mean to us hundreds of years ago. Screw you guys. Like, there's a difference, you know, and this is obviously extreme case. But I'm what? not anti-women, but when you're a feminist to the point you're putting a cock cage on somebody, there's an issue. But what better way to show how mentally disabling it can be for somebody be, to be whispering these ideas in your ear constantly than to show somebody who's as strong as Marcy mm-hmm. succumbing to this this mental attacks from it's this woman. a really woman. good point. Yeah, so, I mean, they, can't, they couldn't have really taken Karen to do it because Karen's too already all over the place with, I mean, with David Duchovny, with uh, Batesy. I mean, so what other woman, f- female character could they have taken for this role? I mean, Marcy's just the only one that made sense. And to bring about the downfall of a strong-willed personality, I mean, she shows it in the pool room this episode where she's like, she kind of realizes it. She's like... Because the battle of the bald. The bald men got together and took a stand. I really don't like how Runkle thinks for a second about Stu's money offer. I I just feel like Stu loves Marcy more than Runkle does. Almost. Oh, I don't think that he... I don't think that he thought about taking the money. I think that he was actually realizing that, first of all, Stu makes it about his money constantly. He constantly says, well, I have more money than you. I am better hung than you. He constantly makes it about his money. And I feel like he he for a second was trying to associate whether it was really about her or was it about just winning. That I makes think me feel moment, better. Yeah, because I don't think he was actually... I feel like the one thing that I really like about Runkle this season is, is sometimes he annoys the hell out of me, sometimes he's the annoying guy at the bar with you, but he's shown such a softer side, and I feel like watching him kind of reassess that he's still in love with Marcy, I feel like he's making decisions differently now. And I've liked that. Okay. Well, being devil's advocate here, I'm not saying this is what I would agree with, but, I mean, if you're, let's say you're in a situation and somebody who has hundreds of millions of dollars tells you to stop going after someone you're not even with and offers you all of their hundreds of million dollars to stop going after with some, someone who they're with now, technically... And you're no longer with. Well, she's you, not with either one of them, though. 
I mean, she's she's not, married to Stu, but she's not with him. They've moved. I mean, she's moved out. She lives on her own. She's more with Stu than she is with Runkle. I mean, uh. she had sex with Runkle last week, so I don't agree with that statement at all. She's been married to them both. I think we could yeah. argue this into the grave, but I, I get what you're saying. I mean, but I think that is so wrong. Like, I under, I am hearing you. And I understand. And I know you're playing devil's advocate, and you might not even think that's right. But if if somebody's the love of your life. There's no check big enough. No. None. Indecent proposal. We've seen the movie. It never works out well. All right. Oh, we know <laughs> where you guys Words of wisdom, think. baby. <laughs> I'm just saying. You for, can't handle the truth. That's right. For someone who's like a Hollywood <laughs> agent like that, like it, it would be, it would not be his character to not think about it. Honestly, I don't see Runkle not thinking about it when somebody offers him hundreds of millions of dollars. Yeah, but that's the part that disturbs me. Yeah. Yeah. See, but that's, that's his he character. Was. He has character flaws and that's one of them. I mean, he does a it's lot. Character flaw. I did like, however, how he mentioned. Uh, you you know what play funhouse is? It's you wouldn't you wouldn't turn down ice cream in hell. Mm-hmm. So like that's what his justification of his getting blown by Miss Housewife. I liked that Stu and Runkle came together to to fight for Marcy. It wasn't like usually they're always at each other and it's tit for tat. And tonight it was no we. There's a greater evil now, and it's Ophelia, and we have to do an intervention. Well, they both genuinely care great. about her. Even yeah. though they're usually tit for tat, as you described, they're always kind of on the same page. It's weird. Like, they, even though they're enemies, they're frenemies. I hate my, like, if I have an ex and they're dating somebody new, it's just by nature, I'm like, I hate this girl, you know? <laughs> I'm never going to team up with that. It just happens. Like, I, I try not to be that girl about it, but sometimes it happens. I'm not going to pair up with them to try to get a guy away from his new man crush that is telling him to put a vagina cage on me. I'm just trying to twist the situation around. It's now getting confusing. Long story short, I'm just saying, I think it's weird that the two of them can even communicate to the point where Stu says, well, good for you, bro, up high, like about him sleeping with Marcy. Well, I think that also, ha- that also has something to do with the fact that they are so closely acquainted with themselves. I mean, Runkle has a son with Marcy, and Stu is the technical father of that child, but I mean, Runkle and they is, named the kid after Stu. Yeah, but Runkle is star- still a part of their life, so it is. It is. It's not too far fetched to see Runkle and Stu. No, having, it's weird. I could never high five someone for having sex saying. with someone that I love. That's what I'm oh, saying. Oh, well, that, that, that was weird. Really, yeah, the, the high fiving. Yeah. That was there's the easier, nothing, simpler way of phrasing yeah, what I was trying to say. Like, yeah, now. they're intertwined. Yeah, there's been some really awkward moments. Yeah, they've all watched each other have sex at one point in the series, and it's gross. But I could never high five someone for having sex with somebody that I love when I'm not with them. So then, never. Don't, don't you think Stu doesn't care not for Marcy happen. as much as uh, Runkle does? Then no, I just think they're both idiots. Like I think when it comes to, I mean, as I don't all men are. I just I just don't think that there's I mean there's really no one in this series of the show that has a functional working relationship. Beck is probably the sanest one in the series. So I don't feel like we can talk about how that's normal. I mean for them it's normal because we see them do stupid stuff towards each other every single week, which is why we keep tuning in because we love their dysfunction. But they don't like I yeah, no. They mm. I just love how Marcy <laughs> attracts such subdominant men. Because it's like you look at Runkle and you look at all his character flaws, and you look at Stu and you look at all their character flaws. They're very flaws. similar. They're so similar. One's just one's a one's a quick trigger with a with not a lot of money and a messed up career, and one's a very successful guy who's hung. But they all have their inadequacies, and they both have like no confidence in themselves. It's kind of interesting, but. Uh, Yes, yeah, so then we get this we get the bar scene where their uncle turns around wearing this fedora and looking ridiculous. 
And they make her sit down. They talk it out with her. And next time we see them, she's drinking shots. They're playing pool. They're having a good time. And then that bitch walks in. I can't believe he's still wearing the cock cage. I mean, Ugh. I can't believe that. How does you, he get it off without the key? You have to have it, uh, sur- like, somebody has to, like, cut it off. I mean, what no do you choice. mean, though? How do you cut, like, what is, what's the material? Metal. It's metal. Like, you have to literally cut Go to it. a welder. Not a welder. A welder would burn your junk off. You can't cut the metal. What are you going to do? No, you cut the metal. You have, they're, like, cut it, like, shears. You're going to, like, cut your penis. No. They don't. It doesn't lock on your. It's Is everybody gotta, getting this except for me? <laughs> I think. I think you're. You're. I've imagine- never seen one up close and personal, but I would think that it would have to be surgically removed. The locking mechanism is a different part it of it. Is without like, the key, uh, like lube it up and yank it off. I don't think it works that way. I think that would hurt. Like that's not how your cock of- cage works. <laughs> Weird. That's how mine works. <laughs> All right. Anyway. So let's let's put away the sheenus for a second. Um, <laughs> we okay. don't need to cage that. So, of course, Ophelia shows up at the bar, and she is like a crazy girlfriend. When people refer to their own books as examples, yes, that's not legitimate. No. <laughs> you can't quote yourself. I mean, that's all she does. Not legitimate. All she does. The statistics from my book show that <laughs> book. 99% of people love me, and I'm right. In my third book, I'm not listening anymore. Her, you're going to regret this line with that look on her face mm-hmm. was just like basic instinct boiling bunny. I was waiting for the boiling bunny. That's it, maybe next week. It reminded me of the, uh, I can't remember her name, the lady in uh, Nip Tuck who was like trying to play his agent. Like the God, scariness of show. the scariness of like the stalking, of the controlling. And then next thing we see is she's, I mean, spoiler that this show's like five years old. Next thing we see, she's in her apartment with her throat slit because she's kill, trying to kill herself. I mean, who's in the apartment? Ophelia or the I'm talking about I'm talking about Nip Tuck. Nip Tuck. No, I yeah. know, but what's the equivalent? Uh, Ophelia. Ophelia in Marcy's apartment killing herself. Yeah. Killing be, Ophelia, killing herself. Kill, yeah. Ophelia killing herself, yeah. It's like creepy, creepy, creepy. Noticing key loggings, logging into her phone, downloading a GPS device to track her. I mean, it's oh, um, and the password. Oh yeah, is distinctive and disgusting because it says, "I love my hubby's big fat cock." One word. I love that Stu like mouthed it and it's like, "Yes, it is." Oh, it's just so romantic. So romantic. I I love that you you do still care, right? So because that's normal. Is it? That's what my password is. Is it? Really? They're so dysfunctional. I mean, I love to watch them be dysfunctional because I get a kick out of it, but it's just like, really? The Ophelia thing, though, freaks me out because I... She is clearly a very devious person. I mean, the things that she's come up with and the things that she said beyond the feminism, she believes the things that come out of her mouth. So I feel like this is going to be a nightmare for Marcy. Like, she's not going to let Marcy go. Like, it's going to be like a fatal attraction. Could this go the complete other direction where Ophelia, we find out, she's always like men, they haven't liked her back, and she ends up with stew so that Marcy can end up with Runkle? Nope. I want Marcy to end up with Runkle so bad. I think Marcy will end up with Runkle, but I, mean, I don't I think Stu's so. going to end up with Ophelia. I could see Ophelia somehow dying in a comical way. Something? No, I think something's going to come out about her backstory, why she's so like this. Well, I don't doubt that, but I don't see her ending up with... Okay. I mean, no, and if she's going to sleep with anybody, it's going to be Hank, because Hank gets everyone. And, and not in the way, but like he gets those girls that are just crazy like that. You know what I mean? Like I feel like if anybody's going to be able to turn her into not being that, it's going to be Hank. But I don't, I don't... We've already seen Hank with that completely crazy 
bitch at the end of last season. I don't think they pulled the apartment. Yeah, I don't think they'd pull a cr- another crazy one into his direction right now, especially with everything that's going on with him and Faith. And he wouldn't be stupid enough to go for it. Um, so now we have or, the or would he? Yeah, okay, probably he would. Yeah. But you're using your own excuse. You. <laughs> <laughs> that's what Hank does. Huh? There, you, there you go. Um. So then. Well, we know he's not growing as a person anytime soon. Um, we see not. a we see a hint of growth in him in his relationship with Becca, or sometimes in his relationship with Karen. But then it gets pulled right back in because as much as he says everything right to Karen, he then goes and sleeps with Faith in the pool. So. But it's not his fault because he's Hank, right? So she pulled. So they don't want to let. They don't want to let Marcy leave. They, they're like, we'll take you home. And Ophelia insists. And she's like, well, why don't you let her uh, Make her decide? decision. So she tases Runkle onto the pool table and then once near his thigh, in her thigh. And then she tases Stu on the cock cage. And Runkle pisses himself and Stu passes out. I honestly Who thought there was. on me. That was, that was a great I line. I'm sorry. It was really funny. Yeah, that was pretty I good. Mean, it's a constant wonder in my head. Who peed on Who me? peed on my jeans? Who, I, like, who? I, I honestly thought we were going to get a scene while we were watching that of, like, Stu going to the hospital or something from, like, a heart attack due to the metal that it's in interacting with the electricity. I honestly thought, like, he was going to be having a heart attack while she, they scowed her out or something. But, of course, we didn't get that. They finally tell her to leave, and she gives that very powerful line. Which was? What happened? The line that she gives is her exit line. It's like, you're oh, you regret, regret this. Yeah. Okay. Um, can we can we go and talk about Faith? Because I'm wanting to talk about her all night. No, let's not. <laughs> I'm kidding. All right, let's go ahead and, and jump into some Faith and Hank Lovely. I mean, I just think she gives him the best advice. Anyone can be cynical, Hank. Dare to be an optimist. As much as we laughed about it, Phil always talks about this. You know, people think they need to be dark to be... A writer. It's, it, anybody can be cynical, like she's saying. But what he needs right now is heart. And he's going to have to look deeper and find that in a place that he hasn't searched before. In faith. Inside of faith. And then go and give that advice from his whore of a girlfriend to his daughter. It's funny to me that Marcy has both Stu and Runkle, who are so much alike and so much trying to go after her. And, and then you have Hank, who has... Karen, who wants nothing to do with him, and Faith, who wants everything to do with him, and they are so much alike. Like, I feel like Faith is Karen 20 years ago. 100%. And that's why he goes to her for everything. Like, he he sees in her everything that he fell in love with with Karen and the whole muse thing and the writing thing, and he's now bringing the writing to her when he used to bring it to Karen. And I, I just, I wonder where it's going to end up because I feel like that can't end well. So what did you what did you think of that story with Faith, though, where they ta- she talks about singing the song at the fair and how her parents like were pretty strong-armed with her. Do you think uh, after tonight Hank's going to be a little bit more um, nurturing of Becca's talent, or do you think he's going to be the same way? I think that'll be the last of we hear the story. Yeah, I don't think. I, I mean, I thought it was a little great sentiment of her, but mm-hmm. um, I don't think it's going to change the way he treats his daughter at all. I okay. Mean, all right, then. If life hasn't taught him to treat her differently, a story from the girl he's sleeping with isn't going to. I guess that's true. Although I hope we keep her on the show for a little while because I'm loving her. I love her. She's so hot, too. Mm -hmm. Totally, totally eye candy. And it's a whole different role for her. Like, we've seen her in The Taken, The Taken 2, Lost. She's been in so many other things. And this is a different role for her as an actress, which I liked. And she's clearly very comfortable in her own skin because she's constantly naked. And she can sing. Who knew? 
I go, wow. Hmm. I was impressed. Shocked, yeah. Little Joni Mitchell action. Gotta love the triple threats. So, Becca and Hank, we have this nice little scene at the end where... Singing, acting, and having sex? Because I didn't see any dancing. Eh, I'm just assuming. Mm. Singing, modeling, and acting. The episode was complete full circle this week, which I appreciated. It started with them. It ended with them. He gave her bad criticism. He got the... Which we didn't talk about. um, That he... He finally finished the musical, and he brought it to everybody, and they hated it. And so yeah. he got almost the same exact input from his people that he gave. And so every they, every single thing about this episode was full circle. I think it's important that if you dish it, you better be able to take it. And Hank, you know, if you're going to dish it out to your daughter, when people give it to you, you better open your ears and not just be stubborn and be like, this is great. So I, I appreciate the fact that he's actually looking for help with this. Yeah. And I do like that, as you're saying, it went full circle. And you're right. I wasn't, I wasn't thinking we got to go into Hank and the script a little bit because we do have the scene where they are at Atticus Fetches. And they're all sitting around and nobody will give him the pointers. I didn't get enough Atticus this week. We I got a great line, him. though. He's one of my favorite characters that I can remember in seasons past of Californication. He is, like, he's just, he makes, I want to hug him. Like, even in his mentalness and how obnoxious he is and how much I hate him, like, I want to hug him. Well, it looks like we have our regular host joining us right now. Hello, Hello. everybody. Coming Sorry. to tell us that we're going over? No, no, you guys can continue. Uh, no, I just, I just have a lot of thoughts on this episode. I don't want to insert myself because I'm just, Still figuring out where you guys are at, so why don't you continue talking? And if I have a point or counterpoint, I'll make it. I just think it was insulting that he called you a regular host. I know, no, he's he's the regular host, and we're the regular co-hosts. There's nothing regular about us. See, feminism. I would just like to point out I have not missed one episode of Californication hosting-wise. I have. Oh, Chris. I mean, I've done all seasons so far. You are the man. There you go. So nobody wants to tell Hank that his script's shit. They all do. No, no, no. Nobody has the balls to say it. Oh, Atticus does. And then Atticus finally comes in, throws it across the room and says, I don't like this. This is crap, Hank. Here's what this episode made me realize about Atticus. He is smarter than we give him credit for. And he had some valid points that he actually articulated this week. Because he wasn't on drugs. Mm. Or or maybe he was. He probably was. Regardless, he said this script is bad and he even went into why. Which I was shocked about. And I like that he read the script, but he has not read any of Hank's works. But he liked the title, and titles are really important to him. Titles are really important. And I, it's, it's funny because he's, such a, he's so based on, well, if I want to work with you, you've got to like my stuff, and I like your stuff, and but it's we've so got to mesh. True. It's so true to Hollywood. I mean, yeah. that's the way it works. Everybody says, I like mm-hmm. your stuff. They've never seen it. They've never read it. They're just going to tell you that because they're blowing smoke up your ass. Hey, here's what I like about it. the Here's what I liked about the episode. They finally called out Hank on the type of work that he's writing. And it's yeah. depressing work. And nobody wants to leave a Broadway musical depressed. They want to leave enlightened and a little bit horny. I mean, it's... You know what? I, I think that the parts of the script that even Faith was saying are good are that it's dark and that it's funny. But dark and funny without heart, like she was expressing. I mean, obviously I haven't read the script, so what the hell do I know about it? But Dark and Funny, without heart, isn't going to make a good show. I don't think that it needs to be, uh, like Atticus is describing, a fluff piece, but I think that there's something missing that he wasn't exactly able to verbalize, but he was touching upon it, which made me know there's more going on in his brain than we originally thought. Mm. 
or than I originally thought. I don't know. Did you guys think that he was smart all along, or did you guys think this episode changed the way you viewed him? I mean, you can't you can't live an interesting life without having a certain level of intelligence. So, I mean, I think we were... I think he is smarter than we give him credit for, but I think he has a lot of knowledge that we just wouldn't even think to know. It, does you that mean make in sense? areas that you would never... Yeah, exactly. Like, he, he, he knows the business that he's in, and, I mean, he's traveled the world. He's, in, he's made millions. He knows a lot that other pe- normal people wouldn't know. So, of course, he knows what's going to track well. He knows what Broadway is going to be all about because he's all about the music. Mm-hmm. Hank's not all about the music. I mean, he knows the classics, but he doesn't... Of course, what Becca says again, he doesn't know this next generation. And it seems like Atticus does because he's a successful music- musician in this generation still. Right. So, I mean, I don't know. You know what else is a little bit dark but really funny, too? No, I don't. Serial Buddies. <laughs> Adventures of Serial Buddies. Adventures of Serial Buddies, which came out into theaters this past Friday on March 8th and is still in theaters right now that you should go AMC see. AMC theaters. AMC theaters in Burbank, San Francisco. Uh, Chicago, you- Boston, New York. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, And it's with our very own Maria Menounos. <laughs> it's really funny. I saw it last night. It's amazing. Um, it also has Christopher Lloyd in it. And Henry Winkler does the narration. Our Artie own, Lang. Uh, Artie Lang. Our who was own, on this season of Californication. Yes, he was. Our own John Comerford is amazing in it. Um, and if you remember Happy Kathleen Gilmore, Gifford, Shooter Gifford. McGavin. Yeah, it's really, really effing good. Honestly, I saw it. I loved it. I laughed the whole time. Everybody in the audience was laughing. So you would be so lucky to go to theaters to see it. See that guy die. That's right. And there's great music. So it's not quite a musical, but it's got a lot of good music. It does have some really good music. Yeah. But yeah, so let's... let's And you know what you should do? You should go see the show. Then you should go and you should look for the soundtrack on iTunes. While you're on iTunes, you should go to the Californication AfterBuzz page. And you should rate, subscribe... And write comments. Give us that five star and tell us what you're thinking about the show so we can incorporate you into our conversation. That's a good idea. I would do that I'm if I was so listening. I'm just so smart. Yeah. <laughs> you are. We, we would like your commentary because we give enough of it, as you can see. <laughs> but uh, uh, now that we've covered that, let's, let's kind of close up, bring everything full circle, as Chris Lee said, to with the barbecue with Becca. <laughs> Script barbecue. Yep, script barbecue, burning books together with your daughter. I actually thought this was a really cute moment. I mean, of course, it yeah. Was. Like, you know, most people with their dad go play baseball or go see a movie, and they're burning scripts together and bonding. So Hank and Becca. I wonder if they would have had that moment had he not had such harsh criticism on his work. Which is why I said the results. I liked where it ended up, but I didn't right. know if we were going to get there. Yeah. Well, what I liked, I, I, you know, I don't know if you guys spoke to this because, forgive me, I missed it, but um, I really liked how they paralleled that. Yeah. yeah and it we came at the right moment. As Chris Lee said, full circle. Yeah. Absolutely. So I, I like that point. And, 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 you know, the fact that he is accepting of her as a writer, that's a huge step for Hank. It shows mm-hmm. growth. Well, I mean, as he, said, as he says, like, we don't need any more lawyers in the world. If this is what you're meant to do with, li- with life, then, then do it. And he, he says it great. It's like, you wrote a novel. Like, do you know how amazing that is? Like, look at what everyone else your age is doing. Writing's freaking hard. Yeah. I've been working on writing for like three years and can't get past page 105. So writing is freaking hard. Like, you can't, like, I, and, and the thing people confuse. 300 pages? That's huge. And the worst, here's the thing, especially with Becca, like, she managed to complete a full novel. Yeah. And, and, but but what, she, what 
you know, Hank's also telling her it's not just words. Because honestly, like, I could write a book. Could I complete a novel? Yes. Is it going to be good? No. Because right. at the end, you know, people just kind of confuse page count for a novel and story and all that. But mm-hmm. that doesn't equal that. As obviously Hank finds out, which, you know, he kind of forgot that. And it was a nice reminder for him. And, you know, now he's passing on, even at this age, his wisdom onto her. So she doesn't do these steps. And she never forgets what storytelling really is all about. Right, and he told her, oh, sorry. No, you're good. Um, I'm just saying, I'm liking this foreshadowing, though, because he eventually says, you know what I like about it? I like how you flesh out, um, I like the story that you're telling about the father and the daughter and the uh, relationship there, and I really think you have something, and I think you could flesh that out. And, of course, this is getting into predictions, but I think we're going to see that, and I think she's kind of going to kick butt at it. Yeah, and with, I mean, I, I don't know if he was being facetious when he said, I mean, I know you took some liberal... Like uh, creativity there with the father and daughter. Right. Was he saying that it was more fictional when she was talking about the relationship between the father and daughter? So, I mean, maybe the problem with her book is that she was focusing on too much of the reality and she was trying to experience it and write about her real experiences as opposed to doing what she was doing in the club and just kind of like writing. No, I'm sorry. I think he was saying it was too non-fictional. I think that she was trying to make every story a huge blowout when really all she needed to do was tell the truth. Mm. So I, I think know. it's the opposite of what you're saying. He was saying you took some creative license here and you, you know, changed our relationship. When really, if she just wrote about their relationship, uh, you'd probably have a show or a novel called Californication. I disagree with that. I do too. Okay, tell me. Well, that's why we're here at After Buzz. Well, I think Easy. I think I think flesh out the story. I think you know because you know I. I don't know what the story's about, but I, all things indicate that it's her. It, the story's about her relationship with Hank, right? And they've indicated this in the past, you know, uh, where Hank said, you know, this whole thing's all about Becca, right? They've kind of made that in, like, season three or whatever. So for her book, it's all about Hank. And she she makes it too much about her life experiences and, and what she's seen of Hank. And But there's no real story. You know, it's just events. It's just, uh, you know fleeting rapture if you will but there's no no conclusion can be drawn and i think i think that's that's where they got together uh in life they got to come together and and find that closure go ahead chrisley i actually i i thought different than everyone i thought that she had so many different things going on and this was the one thing that she was really great at writing because she was passionate about it so i took it as there was so much other stuff um going on that this was the one thing that was really good, so take the other stuff and throw that and then make a short story out of this. It's hard because we know nothing about the novel other than the fact that he mentions that he liked the relationship between the father and daughter, so we know that somehow the two of them are in there. Could it be that there was too much, like you're saying? Maybe. Could they have just talked about the father-daughter and it was uh, too many stories but not enough plot? Maybe. I mean, who who are we to say right now? We don't know. I'm sure in episodes to come, we're going to figure out what the story was about, and that will help us define what the problem was. Yeah. Well, yeah, and even when I was when I was growing up in high school, and when I was doing like anything writing related, uh, my mom always gave me the same piece of advice. She's like, just create word barf, and what that means is like literally just what comes to your mind, what you feel is right, just write it. And if you end up with an essay or a story that's 30 pages long when you only need three pages, take the good things. Take what's good and turn it into something else, and then that's going to be what's good. Because with Becca, she has 300 pages. Let's say she has 30 pages that are good. Those are what she's going to expand upon, making a novella, like doing something that's good as opposed to keeping everything and kind of taking away from the, the point. 
It's like when you cook, you don't want to use every ingredient. You want to use just the right amount, but you don't necessarily know what that is until you test around with it. Absolutely, and I'd rather something spicy than bland. Yeah. We are getting the wrap it up from the booth, so I think we should go to predictions before we get yelled at. Oh F man, Martin. I'm just I'm seeing the I'm seeing the wave going. I'm seeing the wrap it up sign. That's why so I don't look I that just, way. You know, I thought he was just like you know yeah. I'm Woo! just trying to follow directions. He's just excited in there. Yeah, that's what I thought. Let's go on for another like 15 minutes. No, let's go into predictions right now. Okay. So something about uh, Atticus and girls and drugs, and we see Jorge Garcia come back, which was the drug dealer. And there are girls and some... I don't know why that's so new and interesting, but we saw that in predictions. And Karen's going to get it on. Uh, with Nero. Um, not happy. They're maybe having sex. Marcy and Atticus. Yeah. You know, it's, it's going exci- to be exciting to see um, the muse, the current muse, and the old muse meet. Ooh. Are you it's talking about Karen pretty. and Faith? Yes, yes, I am. I think this episode is going to be really similar to the episode um, at the end of last season when they all have the big party to say the goodbyes and the dinner party yeah and it's there's the fight and everybody gets broken up and the daughter's boyfriend's having sex with the rapper's girlfriend in the bat like i feel like it's going to be an episode like that where there's going to start and but i i, I think i think a lot of the difference between that and i think this is be, that people will know <laughs> oh my gosh what they're we, we just weren't smooth at all <laughs> no no we were trying right. to be closer together and keep <laughs> going attention to something see? all right Here's what I was, you know, unlike last time, you know, things were kind of revealed. I think going into it, there's going to be tension and people will kind of know what's going to be going on and they're going to be trying to prevent it. You know what I'm saying? Maybe. Okay. Um, Maybe. I mean. I'm just at a loss right now. I think it's going to be a lot about Becca and her novel and and Hank and Becca developing their relationship as the novel develops. Um, Obviously, there's going to be some sort of. Hank and Faith versus Karen and Nero and a fight, you know, with the new and the old and whatever it is. Um, and Marcy, who we don't think is, we think she's swearing off men in general, is having sex with Atticus, the worst of the men. It's I don't, so awkward. I think it's going to be somewhat of a swingers party kind of thing where they get paired up and then they just have to go into the rooms with each other and... Not willingly, women, though, because there's a lot of punches thrown. So mm-hmm. they no, don't no, throw I'm, punches at swingers' parties. Not that I've ever been to I one. I mean, like, that's, that's what uh-huh. puts the women in the situation. And they're, <laughs> not trying, they're not trying to, they're, like, trying to assuage from doing it with them. Um, I really don't have very many, any really predictions right now. I kind of just am looking to see where this goes. Uh, but favorite line of the episode was probably Atticus's rendition of... You can't handle the truth. Which is so weird because Glee this week had a joke about that line as well. Where somebody quoted it, tried to mouth quoted it, and it was from, he got the wrong movie. And Atticus did the exact same thing, and they're on the same week. That just goes to show there's a through line in Roxy's life. <laughs> Roxy's life is headed down a path that she must accept. I don't know what that is, but. And the through line was given to me by After Buzz, which is why I love it here. It's like home. I think that's about so it lost. for episode Mm-hmm. Eight season like six. Find Chrisley on tomorrow's Bachelor finale. Yes. You and, don't sound excited. And go see Serial Buddies. Yes. Adventures. I don't have much clarity. Where, so. I know you need clarity. You need a little clarity. So where can we find you on the Twitter? Uh, you can find me at Chrisley on Twitter and Instagram. Roxy. At Roxy Stryer. 
And you can find me at Stephen Lemieux, or you can go ahead and go to Facebook.com slash S-R-L-E-M-I-E-U-X photo and like that page to see some amazing photos of our beautiful hosts here. He is an incredible photographer, so you really get to go check it out. Where can we find you, Phil? At AfterBuzz TV, and just remember, guys, God hates us all. Yes, so we will see you next week at the same AfterBuzz time, same AfterBuzz place, at AfterBuzz. Peace out. From Bing.com, executive producers Maria Menounos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire AfterBuzz TV staff, we would like to thank you for listening to the AfterBuzz TV network. To watch or listen to other after shows and post comments or questions, be sure to visit AfterBuzzTV.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of AfterBuzz TV. Buzz you later, motherfucker! The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of AfterBuzz TV or its owners or principals. 